We are in a series on friendship. We're right in the middle of the series. We have a couple more weeks, and uh, each week we're looking at a different aspect of friendship in relation to what the Bible has to say about it and in relation to our everyday lives. How does friendship show up? It's been fun for this series because the pastors have traded off at different campuses. We're each preaching the same sermon, but at the Wilmington and the Hokesson campus. So um, it's a neat way for us to share, even in friendship, the series, of, um, the series on friendship. Sharing that among the three of us and the way we preach it has been enjoyable. So I've been thinking a lot about friendship, and the topic today specifically is friendship and adversity, or friendship and trials, or friendship and testing. It's how does friendship interact with the hard aspects of life, and how do we navigate that as followers of God in the concept of friendship? So I want you to begin by thinking about just how has um, friendship interacted with that concept of adversity in your life. Last week we started by beginning the, ser- the sermon thinking about your best friend and then what makes your best friend your best friend. Uh, maybe you can broaden it out. Think about the friendships that you've had in your life. How have those friends, friendships been shaped through adversity and hard times? I've been thinking about that, just practically what that means in life. And I remember running around the neighborhood when I was a kid, because back then, you know, kids could just roam free. It was great. So me and my buddy and my, all of us would just kind of go through the neighborhood and find our way into trouble and make it out the other side, and we'd be fine. And that's how it worked back then. <laughs> now I don't let my kids go anywhere. It's just changed. But... um but I, I remember just forming some fast friends there, and, and circumstantially, they were, we were in the neighborhood together. But a few years ago, one of those friends called and, and said, hey, I'm in the wilderness of life. Like, I don't know what's going on. And it was a couple years that we just walked together. And I had no idea that just making friends in the neighborhood, I had no idea that it was forming something deeper in, over the years until we got that time in the wilderness, and there it was. It was pretty, as I reflect, it was pretty amazing how seamlessly the whole thing came together, unbeknownst to me. And again, I was just thinking about how does friendship and adversity and trials, how do they interact? A few of us yesterday, we, a few of the dads took a walk up the creek with our kids. So it was a bunch of dads and a bunch of kids. Just get that picture in your head, walking up a rocky creek. Kids in flip-flops, falling in the water, nearly dying over and over again. And uh, the dads were just having a good old time. It was amazing. And um, so at one point, the kids started making a rock. uh, It was a rocky little creek, and they started adding little rocks to this one portion of the thing to see if they could stop the water. And the dads kind of chipped in and started gathering like all different uh, shaped stones. And, um, you know, over the course of 15, 20 minutes, the water started to pull up a little, but there was all these little breakthroughs, you know, in the, the water breaking through and the kids just having a good old time. And 
So I have this sermon in my head as I'm reflecting, you know, on Saturday and just thinking about friendship and adversity. And I'm looking at all these kids work together through um, just teamwork, all, this, all these things happening. They, they don't even know that they're building friendships. And, and I was able to see that, a glimmer into that, um, just because I'm thinking about friendship and a challenge and how the two interact. Uh, about a year ago, my wife and I installed glass doors on our shower. And now that was a test of friendship, <laughs> if anything could be. None of the glass broke and our friendship survived the other side, but it was in the moments of the testing and the challenge of it all that our friendship was tested and our kindness was tested. (laughs) But um, we're taking a proverb each week and letting the proverb be the resting ground of the sermon. So today's proverb is Proverbs 17.17. And it's a, a proverb that's a virtue. It's a virtuous proverb that says, hey, this is something that you should aspire to. This is the, um, the way that friendship should go. This is uh, in the way of forma- formation of character in our lives. This is what friendship looks like. Just listen to it. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let that sink in. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The proverb writer is making a connection between friendship and brotherhood. He's likening it to the way that they exhibit themselves in our lives. So just like a friend should love at all times, when, it, when the going gets tough, a friend continues to love. Just like a brother is born for adversity. It doesn't mean that Brothers should be born to fight, although that's a reality of brotherhood, I think. If you have a brother, you know what I'm talking about. But um, when it says that a brother is born for adversity, it means one of the purposes of him being in that situation is to walk through adversity with his brother or his sibling or his family. And in the same way with friendship, the writer's making that connection. I think we can all say that friendship... Friendship and trials and testing um, are good buddies. They're good friends. They know each other well. Um, Think about your own friendships, the most formative ones. Um, Have you ever been in a a disagreement or a discord or a fight with that friend? Yeah, you probably have at some point. And it's really frustrating to be in a fight with a friend. It's different than a spouse. Spouse, you kind of just get through it, you know, in different ways. But with a friend, it, in some ways it takes more care because it's, it's, the, it's a, a layered relationship. And um, sometimes I think we don't know how to navigate it the best. So um, that's what this sermon is about, how to navigate friendship and adversity. Adversity encompasses misfortune, trouble, difficulty, hardship, distress, disaster, Suffering, affliction, sorrow, misery, tribulation, pain, and trauma. Adversity is is really like the wall that shows up in life that it's not really an option. Are you going to get beyond it? You just have to figure out how to get beyond it. 
And that's the adversity that comes. And friendship should be something um, that helps you get beyond it. So we're going to be looking at a case study. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And in um, 1 Samuel, we'll be picking up in a story where a friendship begins. It's the friendship of David and Jonathan. We'll be looking at this friendship mainly from Jonathan's perspective because as I think about the topic of adversity and friendship, I want us to think about what is our role in friendship when we see, uh, when we see our friends going through adversity. It's one thing to help, accept help when you're struggling in friendships, but it's another thing to, to be the source of strength. So that's probably the perspective that we're going to be thinking about. So in relation to that, Jonathan ends up being the initiator in this friendship. So with that in mind, I want to just frame out who Jonathan is. Jonathan is the prince of Israel. That's the credential he carries. You know, we talk about the prince of Egypt, Pharaoh, um, but we don't talk about the prince of Israel unless we're maybe talking about Jesus as the prince of God's kingdom. But Jonathan was the prince of Israel because he was the firstborn son of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And this nation, Israel, had asked for kings. They asked God for kings like the other nations had. And God said, you can have a king. It's not what I really want for you, but I'm going to give it to you. And so Saul was anointed the first king, and Jonathan was in line to be the next king. So he was the prince of Israel. Um, Not only that, but Jonathan was a warrior. He came from the tribe of Benjamin, who was a warrior tribe. He, um, they were known to be archers and stone slingers. When um, Saul and Jonathan were on the battlefield, Saul was hesitant with the Philistines. So what did Jonathan do? He took his armor bearer, just he and his armor bearer, and they went out. They went to this like rocky crag, and all the Philistines were taunting them, and, and they went. And the two of them slew 20 men and turned the tide in a key battle that um, Israel had with the Philistines at the time. So Jonathan was a warrior. He died on the battlefield. And when David, his friend, was lamenting Jonathan's death, David said that he was swifter than an eagle and stronger than a lion. And, and he remembered him as a warrior. On top of that, Jonathan was a spiritually sensitive man. Um, he had the characteristics and the spiritual sensitivity to lead Israel. I think he would have made a great king. He, um, when he went through that rocky crag, he turned to his armor bearer. And he said, it may be that the Lord will work for us today, for nothing can hinder the Lord, whether by many or a few. I don't know where Jonathan got this spiritual sensitivity. Well, I mean, I know that he got it from God, so I guess I should say that. But it's, it's surprising that how it showed up in his life, given his circumstances of his family. 
But he is. He's a spiritually sensitive man. And you see this over and over again if you look at the encounters that Jonathan has throughout his life. You can see spiritual sensitivity on either side of those encounters. But more than anything, I think that we remember Jonathan as a friend, a friend to David. And that's what we see here in 1 Samuel 18. This is the initiation of their friendship. I'm going to read just the first five verses, and we're going to look at it in relation to Jonathan and his friendship with David. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking, then that's talking about David. As soon as David, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The initiation of Jonathan and David's friendship I find surprising, especially if I think about Jonathan and his identity as the next king, this warrior who's well-equipped to lead. He's got the spiritual sensitivity to um, lead the people. At one point, um, Saul makes a bogus kind of situation with making a vow when they when they um, defeat the Philistines. Jonathan doesn't know about it, and he accidentally eats um, honey. And the people get behind him, and and they defend him with King Saul. He has a way with the people. Jonathan does. And and yet something is making him give his weapons of of war and his priestly robe, um, or his, his kingly robe, his princely robe, I guess I should say. For whatever reason, he's giving his princely garments to David. And it's, I find it surprising. Um, I read a book a couple years ago um, by Donald Miller. It's called How to Live a Better Story, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in the book, um, Donald Miller is, he's a storyteller, so he is um, evaluating story, and he realizes his story is telling a pathetic story. So he, you know, he's the quintessential writer. He sleeps in, and he um, struggles with deadlines, and yet he's this amazing storyteller. So he decides to study story and figure out why his life is so pathetic. Why is the story of his life so uninteresting? It captivates him because he's captivated by story. But in the book, he talks about this one concept that's called the inciting event. And I found it really helpful in thinking about David and Jonathan's life. He talks about how an inciting event um, gets a character moving. Um, Listen to this one little part from the book. He says, as a general rule in creating stories, the rule is that the characters don't want to change. They must be forced to change. Nobody wakes up and starts chasing a bad guy or dismantling a bomb. 
unless something forces them to do so. The bad guys just robbed your house and are running off with your last roll of toilet paper. Or the bomb is strapped to your favorite cat. It's that sort of thing that gets a character moving. The rule exists in story because it's a true thing about people. We, humans, are designed to seek comfort and order. And so if they have comfort and order, they tend to plant themselves, even if their comfort isn't all that comfortable, and even if they secretly want for something better. So he's talking about this component of story, which is called the inciting event. Every great story has an inciting event that triggers a character to something greater. And the reason that it's true in story is because it's true in life. There's inciting events in our life that trigger us to something better. God infuses our lives with inciting events all the time. We don't think of them that way because we're not thinking of our lives as a story and we're not critiquing our lives like a story. But they happen in different ways all the time. They could be small, they could be large. But what was the inciting event with Jonathan? The writer here um, has a a thought that's happening. And when we inserted the chapter changes, we actually broke his thought. It's one of those locations. I can see why we have chapter 18 start where where it starts. But we should also see that it's it's actually interrupting a thought. You know how I had to explain to you that's David? Because he's in the middle of a sentence. He just defeated Goliath, the arch enemy of Israel. Goliath is laying dead on the battlefield. Everyone is celebrating what they thought was going to be this um, great defeat. God rose up in the life of David, and David defeated Goliath, the arch enemy of Israel. So there they are in the battlefield, and Saul is asking David, Who are you? And Saul says, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's from the tribe of Bethlehem. He's from the town of Bethlehem. And he's the son of the servant Jesse. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. So the inciting event was not like that they were just had this chemistry or that they thought they could be great friends. The inciting event was that in David, Jonathan saw everything that he had hoped for, probably in his own father. He saw a mighty warrior. He saw someone that was willing to defend the name of God, something that we already saw in Jonathan's life. And this inspired something deep within him. I think it's so cool that... Um, This battlefield scene inspired a deep friendship between two men that, like, cut to their souls. It's it's just a beautiful picture of friendship. And it was this inciting event that triggered something in Jonathan. And I believe if we can um, sort of diagnose these inciting events in our life, in our lives, it may make us better friends as we go into adversity because this is what happens in Jonathan's life. He does about three things that I think are remarkable. Um, The first one is what I talked about, is that he allows his soul to be knit with David. He allows his 
inner being to be closely connected with David. Something happens, and I believe that this is God at work in his life. I believe that God is helping him see something that's hidden. So here's a spoiler alert. David was already anointed to be the king, and Jonathan didn't know it. Two chapters earlier, Samuel the prophet came to David's family. He knew that out of this family would come the next king, and he anointed David to be king. King Saul didn't know about it. Jonathan didn't know about it. And yet, this knitting that's happening in David's heart seems to indicate that Jonathan had a willingness to see what God was doing in David's life and intricately weave himself into it. That's the first thing he does. We can learn a lot about friendship just from that point. The second thing he does is he makes a covenant with David. Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Um, This, I would just, we don't have time, but you can read the next four or five chapters. The covenant comes up three or four times. What we know about the covenant is that there's nothing between Jonathan and David except one thing, and it's the Lord. Jonathan says at one one point to David, there's nothing that's going to come between us except for the Lord. He's the only thing between us. What a great picture of friendship. And it involves their offspring. Later on, um, David takes care of one of Jonathan's sons. He treats him like a king in his home. What I think is happening here, we don't use the word covenant in friendship, I don't think, very often. Maybe we should at least think about that word when it comes to covenant and friendship. But what Jonathan does is he verbally states the friendship in a way that David hears over time. And then the last thing that David does is probably the most radical to us. He strips himself. He strips himself of everything. First, he takes off his outer robe. His, his, I talked about it earlier as like a princely robe. He takes this princely robe off that would have offered him the protection of the kingdom, the rights to the throne. And in this inciting event, before he knows anything about what's to come, he takes off his princely robe, and he places it on David. What a picture of the kingdom. And he doesn't stop there. As a warrior, he gives him his bow, his sword, his weapons, and he hands them over. Now, I'm sure he had another bow, and I'm sure that he kept using his bow, because later on we know that he goes into the battlefield. Jonathan does. But he was giving over the, the greatest gifts that he had to David in that moment. And then it says he gave over his belt or his inner clothing. Basically, he's just all in with his friendship. There's nothing that's coming between David and Jonathan. I think this kind of friendship strips down the barriers between us. And it may be such an extreme example that we're like, okay, well, that's not me and my friend. Or my friends, because we have layers of friends, right? None of us just has one friend. We have many, multiple friends, and they're all important. Um, but yet Jonathan and David, they, they embrace this adversity together. I remember when I was growing up in high school, I had been placed in a Bible study with um, three other friends, and they were good buddies. And um, 
I remember this jealousy started welling up. So here we are in a Bible study studying the characteristics of God. And what am I feeling? I'm feeling jealous because the three other guys go to a Christian school and I go to a public school. And I felt like they had an advantage over me. I mean, how silly is that in hindsight? Um, but this jealousy welled up. And then I'll never forget it. My, ser- my pastor preached a sermon. I remember two of his sermons. So that's a good thing. Maybe you'll remember two of our sermons later on in life. Um, I remember two of his sermons, one of which was on jealousy, and it came right around this time. Here I was, oh, woe is me. These guys have a spiritual advantage over me. And my pastor talked about jealousy, how you can be jealous of someone or jealous for someone. And to be jealous of someone is to covet what they have. as You, you, want, you want it, and they have it. So you're jealous. But to be jealous for someone is something different. It's more, he, he explained it as a godly jealousy. To actually see what they have, yeah, maybe you do want it. Maybe you do. But you actually want it for them, and you want the best for them. And you actually want God to thrive in their lives. And for me, this was an inciting event. And that's why I say it, because there's little things that can trigger how we view friendship and adversity. So from that point on, I decided, um, okay, God has me here in this public school. I'm going to make the best of it. And, and it was where I was supposed to be. And those guys were, were, were there. They were where they were supposed to be. And, and they were able to use the gifts that God had brought to them in that place. And um, so I think it's important to uh, consider the ways that, that it comes out in real life. The outcome of David and Jonathan's friendship uh, is really a beautiful, striking picture. Jonathan does a lot to instill his friendship to David. He, um, at one point, he speaks his identity over him. He talks about how um, the Lord will cut off all the enemies from the face of the earth for David. Jonathan reminds David of that. Um, He defends him with his father several times. He goes out in the wilderness and finds him, gives him the strong hand of friendship, and encourages David to go out and do what he's supposed to do. But there's one story that I think culminates the whole thing. This would be the crescendo of the story in my mind. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and look at verse 30, I think that Jonathan saw something in David that he really thought was going to come to life in his own family. So over and over again with Saul, he's like, Father, bring David into the house. And it, it happens in cycles. And then finally David finds Jonathan and he says, your, your dad is going to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no. There's still a way. We can make this work. So they make up this plan on how um, Jonathan will signal David if it's safe to come back or if he should flee. And there's this festival where David should have been at the table with the king, but he doesn't show up. And Saul's anger starts to well up. And then Jonathan and King Saul have this encounter over David and his relationship to Jonathan and the kingdom. And it begins in verse 30. So I'm reading 1 Samuel 
chapter 20, beginning in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me. For he will surely die, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. King Saul won't even say the name of David at the table. And Jonathan has to defend the name of David with his own father, the king. And it's at this point that he realizes that their friendship um, has, it really has come to a decision point. He has to choose his friend or his father. And he goes out. And he, he and David have um, one of the last encounters that they have. They still meet up again one other time. But for the rest of the story, Jonathan goes back to his um, family under the kingship of Saul. And like I said, he dies on the battlefield. It mentions that King Saul dies, and then you almost have to read in, in between. You're like, wait, did Jonathan die? Yeah, Jonathan did die. Jonathan died with his father, Saul, on the battlefield. And David lamented over both King Saul and Jonathan's death. So how do we apply this as we um, wrap up this topic of friendship and adversity? I think that... um, I would see the same three things that I saw in the friendship with Jonathan I would point you to in your own friendships. The first thing is um, don't take for granted what drew you together. You know, when me and my buddy were running around in our neighborhood, I didn't know that um, a friendship of a lifetime was in the formations. And, and I see that in so many different ways. When I was um, working uh, a few years ago, and we were having all these encounters at work, all these stressors. I didn't know that God was actually forming some very strong friendships in those moments at that conference table when everyone was like at the top of their stress levels. It was there that friendship was forming in a way that actually allowed the kingdom of God to come into my workplace. So I think seeing these inciting events in your life and seeing that for the people around you and then grasping on to what it is that's drawing you together. I think that'll take work. That might be your homework this week. What, think about your 10, you know, your 10 of your friends and what brought you together and what's holding you together and does it need to be talked about? Because that's the second thing. Jonathan um, knit himself to David and he was willing to open his mouth and talk to his friend about it. So 
The um, application number two is, have you done enough to tell a friend how important they are to you? I think that in our culture, friendship tends to go unstated or understated at least because we're, you know, we're just not sure what to do with friendship. And we see this examples like this in scripture and they seem beyond us. And yet I don't think they are beyond us. I think this is what God would have for us in different ways. And then the last thing is what steps have you taken to walk with a friend through adversity? Um, Jonathan had, it cost him. It ended up costing him what he had rights to, his throne. Um, he could have seen David as a threat, but God, by God's spirit, he never did. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Jonathan's life, is that over and over again, you just see him being for David. I, I don't think you will find an ounce or a sliver of him being jealous of David. And this is, this is God-inspired. I mean, God inspired this in Jonathan. He could not have done this on his own. But through that, he was willing to pay the cost. He gave up his weapons, and he defended his friend such that they shared this together. Um, you know, as we wrap up, I want to encourage you and challenge you. There's two parts of this. The first part is we're all going through hard times, right? And we're all struggling with not all of us. Many of us may be struggling with not having a close friend nearby in the midst of that struggle. And I would say that that's our fault. That that is this this room, this room it's it's our fault. There's a collective nature to us being willing to walk with each other through the hard times. So if if you're alone in your adversity and your trial, then um, that means someone else hasn't come alongside your adversity. And so it's, it is a two-way street. Friendship is a two-way street. But I think that Jonathan was a, in the position of power. And so we need to look at not our positions of power with people, but where, what role do we play? Like if someone's going through a hard time, maybe we're the one that should knit our soul to them. Maybe we're the one that should open our mouths and say, hey, you're my friend. And you know what? Here's some things that I have that can help you walk through this. And that requires effort on our part. The other half of the room might just be feeling alone because we haven't, the former half hasn't done that. I know it's, I know we all fit in different ways into all of that, but I do think that um, friendship and adversity is something that um, is at the heart of friendship. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Our friendships may exist for some amazing thing in the future. So allow me to pray for us around that and encourage you to um, take a step in friendship. Father, we look to you now as um, our God, our Savior, Lord, I'm reminded again of Scripture and how Jesus is a picture of friendship and friendship done in our own strength um, is not the best friendship that you desire for us, Lord. And so we thank you for the example of your son Jesus who laid down his life for his friends 
and was willing to be the best example of even what we see in Jonathan. Lord, I thank you for Jonathan and the example of friendship that he is to David and to us as an example. A real man that showed true love in the midst of the battlefield and someone who was willing to um, see what you were doing with your kingdom and your coming king. So thank you for his example, Lord, and that it lives on today as a way to teach us about friendship and adversity. God, I pray for each person here, Lord. Um, First, I pray that they would have you in the center through their salvation and you through Christ. And I pray that their friendships might flow from that. But I pray a challenge on each person here that they would not feel comfortable in their friendships until they um, do what they're supposed to do and that they um, see their friendship as an opportunity, Lord, for you to work the best in someone else. And I pray, God, that you would grace us with that power through your spirit. And Lord, thank you for the example of friendship in scripture. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.